Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. Hello, Decode Your Burnout fans, and welcome to another episode with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. And I have a special guest today, and I want to introduce you to her. Her name is Salima Vellani, and she is a nine-time founder, a TEDx speaker, and the best-selling author of Innovation Starts With I. She is the founder and CEO of Ripple Impact, which is a business accelerator and community that helps entrepreneurs grow their businesses and scale their platforms. Selena also teaches design thinking and entrepreneurship at Johns Hopkins University and is a frequent guest lecturer at business schools. She contributes to Forbes and has been published in 15 research publications, most recently on promoting a circular economy and solving food insecurity through hydroponics and insect farming. Salima, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sharon. I'm so glad to be here. It's an honor. It's been quite a while. I've been waiting for you to come on the show because when I watched your TED Talk and I was reading your book, I was like, this girl has a message that we need to hear. So as you know, this show is all about burnout and people have been burning out left and right, especially since COVID. And I feel like there's been a lot of pivoting happening. And I know that one of the things that you really specialize in is this idea of reinventing yourself. So I think we've been seeing a lot of that. I remember when COVID really just started and people were being really creative, at least the ones who were jumping on the bandwagon, they were finding ways to get out there because they realized that the old way of doing business is no longer the same. So a lot of the service providers were sending out emails and saying like, hey, you know, if your pipe breaks, I'm a plumber and I can help you or things like that, right? And there's been all kinds of versions of that, as well as people completely shifting out of their industry and trying something completely different and new. So we've seen all kinds of things, whether it's that or people working from home and living all over the planet. So there's a lot to talk about. Um, And I'd love to first start with your story and how you got into this concept of reinvention and innovation. Yeah, sure. It actually goes back to, it goes back to, I guess, growing up. Um, I I lived fairly comfortably for a while and didn't like getting out of my comfort zone. I was a figure skater, uh, you know, doing a lot of different uh, 
extracurricular activities and things, but I was always very scared to fall. I never made it to do like a, a double axle or anything uh, when I was in figure skating. And it was interesting because like I was just wanting to be comfortable and have the nuclear family. So it really started at like childhood where when I lost my mother, I would say that was the biggest catalyst. When I lost my mom to cancer at the age of 16, that was probably where my life changed uh, dramatically. And I was forced to, to go through a reinvention to figure out who was I, uh, who am I going to be, what's home for me and what's, what's my life going to look like. And it was at that moment that I decided to design my own life. And I learned Spanish. I lived abroad. I lived in Brazil, Dominican Republic, Italy. I got obsessed with trying to be uncomfortable and getting, getting, you know, just getting uncomfortable, immersing myself into different cultures, learning different languages, uh, you know, just um, figuring my life out. And there I was also forced into more discomfort when I graduated from college during the economic crisis, the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, where I couldn't find a job. And I ended up going to Brazil to do some volunteer work. And little did I know that uh, the director down there saw the potential in me. And instead of sending me to the orphanage, he's like, I'd love for you to start a language school in Rio de Janeiro in order to finance our orphanage. And I was like, whoa, sounds like a big task, but I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm here. And um, was ultimately, you know, very challenging at the beginning of the first few months, but then very successful with all the pivots that we made at the school, reinventing ourselves as a business as well as a nonprofit. And so, uh, so yeah, you know, just thinking about the pivots that I've had to make, uh, starting from those earlier days of my career uh, and the different reinventions I've had to go through after Brazil, it was Italy, Greek and Euro crisis had started and I had to, you know, figure out how I was going to work and make money without, uh, you know, I couldn't teach British English. I couldn't, I knew how to cook fettuccine Alfredo, but I realized that they don't eat Caesar salad and all the food that I thought was Italian food when I moved to Italy. And so I, I couldn't find a job there either. And that's when I started translating and pivoted that into a, into a translation business that was also very successful that I exited from uh, a few years later when Google Translate was about to take over. And so, you know, it was all these earlier parts of my career where I had to reinvent myself uh, I wasn't trying to be an entrepreneur. I was really um, trying to, I guess, get exposed to different cultures and, and get myself into different situations where I could uh, be challenged. But I also think that uh, I had no, I, I wasn't trying so hard to reinvent myself. And it was just a constant cycle. And I think I got really good at being uncomfortable and reinventing to the point that even though when I had sought some stability through a full-time job after graduate school, I missed that feeling of being able to be creative and start something and be uncomfortable, but innovate in that process. And that led me to uh, changing my career towards design thinking and innovation, where I was helping organizations think more like entrepreneurs and helping them innovate with some of my work with hydroponics, insect farming, et cetera, but continuing to be a startup founder and uh, start multiple businesses. And so it really just became a theme in my career. I've reinvented myself many times. I never really knew what I was doing a year or two ahead, but it all sort of worked out and merged in a very unique combination. Well, first of all, I have to say, you started by sharing about your mom and I just got total like goosebumps all over. And what a story, it's really so moving. And so unusual to hear somebody talk about how they are obsessed with being uncomfortable, right? Because so, so many of us are just trying to hold on for dear life to the things that we know and the things that are familiar. 
it's really so unusual to hear somebody talk about it from this new perspective. And the fact that you like a challenge and all your stories, how you just kind of show up somewhere and you figure it out. There's so much resiliency that comes through for me as I hear you talk about this. I mean, and especially coming from where you were as a younger person of like, I didn't want to take risks because I might fail. You know, like I was sticking to the comfortable and then you have this life event that completely shifted how you show up in the world is just mind boggling really. So, I mean, it almost, it's almost like there's this resiliency within us and we're not tapped into it. So we don't even know it's there until we put ourselves in these uncomfortable and uncertain situations. And all of a sudden we discover what's possible. I think of you as that figure skater who didn't know what you are now, what you are capable of and, you know, how that just transpired with life events. But like, there's probably so many people out there listening right now who still haven't tapped into that resiliency and maybe don't even believe that they can get back up after they've fallen down, right? There's so much shame in our society about failure and about burnout even that I would love for you to maybe share your mindset around that. Happy to. Yeah. Uh, I think that resilience is something that a lot of people think that you have to have gone through some sort of trauma. A lot of people talk about like entrepreneurs, a lot of successful entrepreneurs have gone through some kind of trauma, but I actually don't think you have to have gone through that. I think it's about the mindset and how you navigate challenges and not everyone is going to lose their mother or go through the amount of trauma that many of us have gone through. I do think that it's possible to build up resilience and build that mindset. And I actually do that with my students at Johns Hopkins or sometimes at workshops, uh, especially when they're in person, I would get uh, people to go out of the classroom and go to the streets and try to get rejected. I think uh, the resilience can be built up a lot from uh, doing, uh, actually Jia Jang has a really interesting TED talk, TEDx talk on uh, rejection therapy and his business around how he, uh, you know, ultimately got started because he did a hundred days of trying to get rejected. And um, there's some really interesting videos about that, but that also inspired me using some of his methodology coupled with the lean startup methodology and said, well, why, instead of just going out of the building and trying to validate your idea, why don't I get my students in entrepreneurship and design thinking classes to actually go out and try to get rejected on the streets and empower, hopefully that will empower them to come back with resilience because it's super uncomfortable to go out of the street and ask people for a hug. I mean, this was pre COVID, uh, you know, give me a ride in your car. Uh, can I immigrate at your embassy? And they would ask such crazy questions sometimes. And what they realized was that people were more willing to help when we asked and that after being rejected, it, you kind of just build up some, uh, you know, some, some resilience there. And you realize that it's actually not so bad when you know how to handle rejections and that maybe we're taking a lot of things more personally than we need to, or more sensitive than we need to be. It's actually just, um, you know, not trying to minimize it, but once you get rejected several times, you actually get empowered and it doesn't hurt so much anymore. Yeah. I think there's definitely a lot of truth to what you're saying in terms of when you get over that fear of rejection, it allows you to, try different things and not be so afraid of what might happen, not the, in, in terms of failure even. But, you know, when we're talking specifically about burnout, I think there's also a lot of shame around people's ideas of what it means and 
how other people are going to perceive them. And I think, and honestly, like that's part of the reason why we have this show on the air because we want to destigmatize burnout. It is actually a very, very common phenomenon in the workplace and outside. I mean, we have parental burnout and we have burnout like in relationships and it's just like so pervasive in our life. So I think that mentality that you're talking about can also be attributed to other areas as well. Um, and so let's, let's bring it back for a moment to innovation and reinventing ourselves. And I'm curious, um, you have so much experience. You've traveled the world, you've started all these businesses, you've helped many students and, and businesses. Uh, what can you share with us perhaps are the biggest myths that people have when it comes to this? Yeah, so I think the first myth is that that we a lot of people think that I'm just going to wait around when they're in a, they're in a situation where it's pretty comfortable. They know their inner voice is like fighting and battling and saying like you need to get out of this and do something else and you're plateaued or you know it's time to move on to the next thing and we're seeing that. Uh, you know, my book came out before it was around the time of the Great Resignation, but I already had started talking about the reinvention revolution uh, before COVID because I was a person that was already reinventing myself and I was constantly attracting or being surrounded by people through my 100 interviews in the book, even itself, uh, you know, people saying that like we're, we're focusing on retention, but like people do like change and they are trying to, uh, you know, they or they're needing to change because um, you know, entrepreneurs, people are trying to become entrepreneurs. A lot of uh, people are trying to figure out how to like, uh, find their dream job and they're constantly changing. And I think with the world moving so fast and technology changing, people are changing. Like one thing I learned uh, early on in therapy when I was in my late twenties was that we're like an onion and we're peeling the onion to discover who we truly are. And my book actually debunks a bit of that because um, I don't think that who we are at the core is always going to be the same. I think there are certain things like values and certain things that might last forever for certain people. But I do think that a lot of times people's values are changing today. And we are seeing that in the world that people are changing. And I think it's with everything changing around us, we're changing and we're also changing and affecting everything around us. It's very circular. So I think when people say that, you know, I'm just going to wait around until something better comes my way. We're seeing that a lot in, in careers and relationships. And they're sort of like, I'm comfortable, I'm not very happy, but I'm going to just keep waiting. You might end up in a life quake or a situation where it might be, it might get really bad, where it's going to be harder to reinvent yourself reactively versus when you hear those voices, you start to feel that it's time to make a change. You don't have to make a significant change immediately. You can do baby steps. Uh, you can take what Ariana Huffington, who I interviewed for my book as well, says, you know, taking micro steps in that process. Uh, to proactively reinvent yourself into whether you're 2.0 or 3.0. Like I was version 2.0 when I went through my crisis, when my house had a fire and I was on a whole eat, pray, self-love trip and in India, Bali, Thailand, trying to figure out who am I going to be? And I just had to sit with myself. Um, you know, that was a reactive reinvention, but I did have to sit my, with myself and figure out like, um, how am I going to handle this now? Which was a lot harder than the other times when I re reinvented myself, I, I've done it more proactively, especially after that time. And I, I, I knew like when COVID happened that I had to be proactive about that reinvention. Otherwise I, I could sit around and it could get really bad and turn into a life quake. So that would be the first myth is that you don't need to wait around uh, and wait for something to change. You can make that change and be, be proactive about your reinvention by taking those baby steps. And, and I can go into some more tips through the other myths if you'd like. Well, before you do that, 
I mean, obviously th that was a mouthful. There's, there's a lot in there um, that I think we can take away. And I would imagine that the reason people kind of sit idly and wait is precisely because of what you said earlier, that they are afraid of rejection or afraid of failure. Um, and I also would imagine that they may not necessarily know where to start or what to do. You know, often I hear people who have been in their profession for a long time say, this is all I know. This is what I've been doing my entire career. If I'm not doing this, I don't know who I am. So there's also like this whole, um, it's almost like we get stuck in this identity of the past, right? This is what I've done. And it's hard for us to figure out what's possible from here. Where do we go? Um, and I'm curious, since you're somebody who doesn't seem to struggle with that very much, like you're able to kind of very quickly figure things out. You're very creative. You're very innovative. What would you say to somebody who is kind of stuck in that mentality? Maybe, you know, you would advise them to be less passive and be more proactive about it, but maybe they don't really know how, what would be a first, maybe one of those micro steps as you were mentioning? Yeah. So I think that one of the micro steps could be going on a 100 coffee challenge. Now, if you're an introvert, maybe that could be like a 10 coffee challenge. If that over that hundred sounds overwhelming to you, but going out and uh, meeting other people, which actually connects to uh, my second myth is that we know ourselves best is what a lot of people think is like, I know myself best. I'm going to get through this myself. There's no one else that can really help me. Uh, maybe they'll seek some therapy or, you know, some, some professional help or a coach. And there's a lot of value in that and having that support. But I also think that we can lean on others and not be so embarrassed. I was very embarrassed about coming out to my network and saying, hey, I need help. But that's also when I got the help and was able to reinvent myself and, and attract an opportunity that was aligned to me through that 100 coffee challenge. And I think that, you know, uh, Tasha, you talks a lot about this, but essentially, uh, you know, we often think we're very self-aware and we know who we are. But like I said, we're changing and evolving very quickly. And so who we think we are, who we are becoming or meant to become or could become, oftentimes those insights can come through conversations with other people and just really listening and, and trying to interact with them and learning about their stories, um, having a really organic conversation to uh, it's a sort of a bit of a research process. I find like with my book, it was actually, I didn't realize that my book was going to be a whole reinvention process. I was writing about reinvention. I didn't realize it was going to be a reinvention journey and I'd have to rewrite my book after writing the first draft. Um, but essentially, yeah, like, like you learn a lot about yourselves through other people in those conversations. And it can be hard to have those conversations during a transition period. But I also think that there's so much, uh, my book has some questions. A lot of people ask like, what kind of questions you'd ask? And I'm like, you know, asking people what inspires them to do what they do, make it about them. If it's really uncomfortable for you to share, make it about them. And it might lead back to just a really organic conversation. Um, I also asked people like, where do you see in my interviews? I, I, my first time talking to a lot of people, I was just curious. Um, where do you see me as I'm making a career change? Where do you see me excel based on my on our conversation? And it was very interesting, the insights I got from that. And I think that there's a lot that we can learn through about ourselves through other people. What I found was through that process of digging in within myself, but also opening that up to other people. I wasn't learning so much about myself just through doing the yoga, the meditation, the Ayurveda and all the self work, you know, the self-love work that I was doing, it was actually other people were finding me. So combined with the self-work plus uh, other people, 
I learned a lot and it was a very innovative, interesting process. So I highly recommend, uh, you know, you can actually access the 100 Coffee Challenge tool on uh, my website on innovationstartswithi.com. There's a free tool that you can access to manage like a spreadsheet to manage your coffees strategically with the follow-ups and everything. So I think that one is very key um, to be able to have authentic conversations with other people. I think that's such a great tip of tip of uh, or bit of advice for people because um, we often do get kind of stuck in our own heads. And what I've found as a coach during the work that I do with people is that when I share insights with them about like how I see them, like there are certain strengths that come out or I can see where they're blocked and things like that. And I share that with them. It's like, oh, or I didn't realize this, right? So it's always so good to have somebody who is introspective or who maybe has a certain point of view that is different from how you look at things that can give you, be that mirror for you and give you that feedback. And, you know, especially as you're trying to reinvent yourself, it's helpful to get that from multiple sources, as you did. And in that process, not only are you enhancing your connections, but you're also potentially getting new ideas from people. I know that when I have coffee chats with people, I'll often give them ideas based on what I'm hearing they say. And, and they often will find that like tremendously helpful, right? It's not a coaching session, but it's just kind of like organically happening as we're having a conversation. So I love that tip. And uh, especially for people who are out of work um, and they can't afford coaching, it's a great way to just engage with people and get ideas rolling and actually potentially also get your next gig because you're not connecting with people who might be looking for somebody just like you. Exactly. That's where actually there's a lot of value there with finding your next gig. I got different job opportunities and just some, and some consulting gigs, like just some really interesting things that was planting seeds that was like, we kept in touch, keeping in touch with those coffee conversations and, and those people uh, went a very long way. And uh, it's hard to, to, we often underestimate that, but just constantly doing 100 coffee challenges, or you don't have to do 100, but, you know, even for business development, for networking, uh, to support other people as a, you know, giving as much as you can. Like I do that with mentoring people as well, as I try to, to make, you know, some different efforts and who I connect with and, and bring value, but also uh, just build relationships. Is part of your form also the follow-up? Yeah. Oh, in the, sorry, in the, in the spreadsheet? In the, part, in the spreadsheet. Yeah, there is something in there about following up, uh, just because I know that a lot of times we'll have a conversation and then it's like, we're going to do these things and then we don't actually do them after the conversation, but the power is in the follow-up. Yes. Awesome. I love it. So I encourage everybody to go and grab that and we'll have the link to that in the show notes as well. And uh, what's your third myth? Yeah. So third myth is, especially for those of you who are entrepreneurs out there, um, especially those of you who are solopreneurs and trying to do this journey yourself. And you're trying to, uh, a lot of you who might be, you know, trying to reinvent yourself in a way where you can live and design, you know, the life that you want. And we're seeing a lot of people do that. And you don't have to let go of, you know, consulting or a job, like you don't have to pick one path. And I talk a lot about that in my book about being a hybridpreneur, where you can embrace being both an entrepreneur and entrepreneur. Uh, if you're younger, maybe you need to, you know, pay your dues, work a bit until you know what you want to do. Uh, but especially for those of you who are somewhere mid-career and you're trying to launch or, or grow your business, you're kind of stuck in that early phase. A lot of entrepreneurs 
deal with this, where they become overwhelmed, they burn out because they're trying to do this themselves. There is a huge myth around that. There's a lot of advertising where you see a lot of influencers put out that they're, you know, these solo printers and they're doing it all themselves and they're very successful. But what a lot of them don't tell you is that they have a team behind them that's uh, supporting them. And it's hard to see that through some of the marketing and advertising that's out there. But, uh, and that's something that I'm very much an advocate of spotlighting and sharing you know, the behind the scenes journey, who's there supporting you. Uh, chances are a lot of people have support they don't share. And I think that because of that uh, sort of perception out there, a lot of entrepreneurs, new entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs think that they have to do it themselves. There's a lot around even some of the lean startup stuff, you know, like figure, you know, get, get to a certain point until you can then hire a team and, and um, bring on other people to help. Now, I debunk that by saying that it's good to build partnerships and collaborate early on. It's good to build your personal board of directors early on. It's important to have a team before you think you need a team. A lot of entrepreneurs that we work with at Ripple Impact before they come to us, they're like, oh yeah, I don't have a team because I'm not at that point where I can hire a team, but they're stuck in that mode where they're still doing a lot themselves and they're not able to get there. It's a very, you know, sort of, let's say chicken and egg, but sort of a, a thing where they're like, I can't get there because I need to have the revenue, but then I also don't have the hands to help me grow. And I think having a team, there's really creative ways on how you can do that with Ripple Impact. We have an inter- a whole global team of, uh, you know, strategists, executors, designers, and we've done it in such an innovative way where we can help other entrepreneurs who don't have a team. And uh, for those for, for other people out there, I just think it's the easiest time to build a remote team and leverage the global talent market because there's a lot of people that are out there with lots of different skills, helpful. Uh, they can help you grow your business in ways that, you know, take over a lot of the, the legwork and the stuff that you don't want to do or you're not trying to be good at. There's no reason why you should. If you're an expert at something and you're trying to, you know, build a business around your expertise, uh, especially if you're like coaching or consulting and you're trying to share your message into the world. Uh, there's no reason why you should try to become the expert graphic designer, or social media manager, and, and do all those things. You really have to focus on your gift, the thing that makes you unique, the thing that will help you be successful with your clients and help them be wildly successful and all those other things. It's totally fine to let go of that control and let other people, they might fail initially, but smart fail and, and let, and, and set up things in a way where they can uh, take that over and shine. And I think that that's, that's the future. And I think that that's the, that's my movement. That's like what I'm trying to create in this world is help other entrepreneurs not do things themselves and, and have a bigger impact, uh, build their influence, have a bigger impact, uh, share their message in powerful ways without the overwhelm and burnout and trying to do it all themselves. So powerful. So I think, yeah, as you mentioned, it is kind of a chicken and egg thing. I think all all, uh, new entrepreneurs kind of face that dilemma of I don't have revenue yet. I can't afford to hire a team. But the longer you wait on hiring people, the more you kind of sit in that place of not generating revenue. And um, it's hard to do all the things yourself. And then certainly you do put yourself at risk for burnout. So it is a very challenging situation to negotiate but I do think that your message is uh you know you have to it's kind of like when you are going out and you're going to do marketing like on Facebook or whatever uh you have to have a budget and so when you're starting a business you almost like have the same sort of idea you have to have some sort of a budget in order to include those people that can take things off your plate so that it gets momentum going in your business and um I think that coupled with some of your other tips of, you know, allowing people to meet with you and give you their perceptions of you, help you maybe make those connections perhaps to different positions that are available is really helpful, as well as 
just being more proactive about your situation, not waiting for things to happen on their own or sitting around when things aren't going well. And this is something that I see a lot. And the reason why a lot of people actually burn out is because they're unhappy in their situation and they just keep going through the motions day after day after day. And the stress just builds and builds and builds. Um, I think we need to get to a point where we recognize what's not working early on and we start coming at our situation from a place of resiliency, from a place of innovation, being proactive about it, and implementing a lot of the tips that you shared with us. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Um, anything else you want to leave us with? Yeah, uh, I would just say that, you know, if you're trying to proactively reinvent yourself and you, and you got something out of this episode... Uh, there's a tool in my book that it's called finding your sweet spot. And it's very powerful. Um, what you can do is go out and, uh, you know, figure out, first of all, you might want to take like a mapping tool, like a mirror board or a uh, you know, whiteboard, or even just a piece of paper and map out. What are the things that you excel at that, you know, that you're really good at? What are the things that other people say that you're really good at or that you excel at? And you're going to have to ask several people for this. And you're going to be pretty surprised by some of their answers and, and learn some of your own blind spots. What are some of the things that you know you're, you really love doing that you're very passionate about you would do for free if you could just spend your time doing? And then lastly, the fourth quadrant is actually what are some of the ideas that you have that you've kept on the back burner? Some of the ideas that maybe you go for a walk or in the shower, or you wake up at three in the morning, you're like, I got to do this thing, or you have this uh, insight uh, and you jot that down. And there's a lot of, there's a lot there because oftentimes we might get overwhelmed by the idea of certain things, but if we kind of bring them down small in scope, like if you want to write a book, maybe starting with an article, starting with some interviews, um, you don't have to get so overwhelmed. Uh, just, just don't forget those ideas. A lot of times we archive them or we like for me, my book, I archived it for five years and I completely forgot about it, to be honest. Um, and, uh, and it might not be the right time, but there is a lot of value in having those ideas written down. Uh, keep an idea bank or something to, to, to you know, just be able to refer back to it and see maybe you can merge certain ideas and, and looking at what you're good at, what other people say you're good at, what you love doing. There's ways you can analyze that and filter them into your ideas and figure out how you can make a, um, you know, what Seth Godin says, a, an original combination. It doesn't have to be something super new and innovative, but how can you take the unique parts of yourself, uh, you, and, uh, and combine that with the ideas you have and merge it into something really unique and beautiful. And, and I think that's where we're seeing a lot of entrepreneurs excel today is they're, they're creating these original combinations and not necessarily totally new ideas, if that makes sense. And so we're not trying so hard to solve a problem, but leveraging their authenticity and their uniqueness. And then once they put something out there, they go through some reinventions and pivoting and it positions the uh, product or service or whatever they're trying to, to, to do into actually solving a problem, but they're not starting with, let me figure out what problem to solve. And so I know there's a lot there, but I think that, you know, I hope that that's valuable for some of you who are in that searching mode. Yeah. And thank you so much for that. I know I saw that also in your TED talk. Uh, so I'll definitely link to that. And, you know, it reminds me, like all these things that you're saying kind of brings it together. I, I had a conversation earlier today with somebody who was pre-COVID working, you know, in different businesses. And then um, COVID happened and he couldn't go to work. And his wife had been an author and her book wasn't working, but he was kind of like in digital marketing and so she said, you know, do something with this. You're good at this stuff. So um, he started doing Amazon ads for her and her book like took off. And since then, 
that's become his new business. She's like, listen, this is what you do really well. And so he's now developed, he's kind of pivoted and he's reinvented himself. And I think like that brings all the things that you said together in terms of like having people kind of reflect back to you what you're good at that you may not, you may just be overlooking at, you know, and not seeing the opportunity there. So between that and just like, thinking about things that you love to do that you're good at. I mean, there's so many great tips in there. So thank you again for coming on and sharing. And if you're listening to this and you found this to be helpful, I would hope that you will come back, leave us a review so that we can spread the word about burnout being something that is something that a lot of people are struggling with and it's nothing to be ashamed of. We are here to support you. We are here to love on you and uh, always bringing you the best guests that we can find on the topic to continue to expand your repertoire of how you think about your situation and what is possible. So please uh, go ahead and review us and leave us a comment or question as well on YouTube if you're watching us there about questions that you might have for future episodes. Um, we are always here to take those requests and think about what else you might need. And if you're ready to take the next step with me to decode your burnout, go to decodeyourburnout.com. I will see you right back here again next week. <laughs>